as educators on art and art history, particularly in a museum space and from time to time in a classroom space as well, Elle and I often get the same types of questions and comments cycled through, you know, throughout all of our years of experience. And something that we hear a lot is, well, why is this art? I could have done that. Right, Al, you've heard this before. Oh, can yeah. you remember can you remember a, a specific time maybe that you've heard this? I ask because they've all blended together in my head. Yeah. But I think you have a pretty unique experience with this. I, I do. Question. I actually remember the first time that I ever heard that question. I was a high school student and I was on a field trip. Oh gosh, probably either sophomore or junior year. But um, I honestly don't even remember which field trip it was. That's okay. (laughs) But what I do remember was going through modern contemporary wing of of a museum and looking at this artwork and hearing one of the other guests in the museum and thinking it was just another one of my classmates, you know? Oh, okay. So you didn't yeah. realize it. You thought it was a friend no. of yours. Yeah. Yeah. I just thought it was a friend of mine speaking up and I was like about to turn around and tell them, you know, Hey, shh, like, that's not okay. That's not how we behave. You can't be you saying people. these things. Yeah. Uh, because it, it wasn't just why is this here? Or, I mean, it was something along the lines of, I could do this. Why is this hanging here? Like, mm-hmm. This didn't wow. be here. Why would anyone spend money on this? I mean, it just went on and on and on. And so I'm turning around to be like, what is going on here? And there's this woman who was maybe in her 30s. I don't know. Okay. I wasn't that good of an age detector at that point, probably. Um, I'm still yeah, not. I, I, my, yeah, my guess is probably in her 30s. And to anyone from our listeners who who has lived in Dallas or, or been to to Dallas a significant amount of time when I say the phrase she was dressed up to that like to the nines in Dallas style they would very much know exactly what I'm talking about her hair was done her makeup was pristine her outfit was like on point for Dallas style I mean she was the epitome of looking her best and she was just clinging to the arm of this guy and just going on and on and he was just kind of like you know non-committal stuff And I was just so uncomfortable because that was just so rude, you know? It can come off as really rude, especially, well, now it makes sense to me why you remember this. When you said to me that it was the, you can remember the first time this happened, I was shocked because I thought, oh my gosh, (laughs) how could they possibly remember the very first time? But that's a pretty extreme example with the on and on and on. I have found in my experience that it's normally like, oh, please, I could do that. Mm -hmm. And then people move on. Not understanding what it takes to make a piece of artwork or a lot of other things connected to it. I, I understand the initial feeling of why is this here or, or why should we care about this? Sure. And it's an incredibly valid question. So long as you pose it in a respectful kind of way, because we've been asking this question of ourselves, what is art? What makes this art? We've been asking ourselves that question for centuries. Oh, yeah. So welcome, friends, to It's Just Art, everyone's toolkit for artful conversations. In this podcast, we seek to bridge the divide between people and works of art by exploring the ways in which we connect with art every day. Here, we share with you the skills and vocabulary, what we call our toolkit, that we have developed over years of studying and teaching art history. 
We discuss art forms of all kinds, from oil paintings and street art to crafts and music. We believe that art is evidence of humanity, and that making art is the most human thing that we do. Art is all around us. It does not exist only in museums or galleries, and you don't need a degree in fine arts or art history to know what makes an artwork beautiful or important. It's not foreign or exclusive or untouchable. It's just art. My name is Christine Staten. My co-host is Elle Claus. Anna Boyer is our house cat, and we thank you for joining us. Today's topic is, why is this art? Or is this art? Is this art? In fact, that's probably a better title. Is this art? And we did a whole, we did two, almost three episodes. We've done why is art here? We've done what is art history? But we've kind of skirted this question of what is art? I think because it's such a big question and we want everyone to feel valid in finding the definition for themselves. So we didn't want to corrupt you or influence you too much. But I think for this conversation, especially since we hope this will be a reoccurring segment, what is this art or why is this art? Let's talk about really what the definition of art is. Is there a dictionary definition? There is a dictionary definition of what art is. It is defined as the expression or application of human creative skill and imagination typically in a visual form, such as painting or sculpture, producing works to be appreciated primarily for their beauty and emotional power. That's actually a pretty nice definition. That probably took a really long time to write. (laughs) Yeah. Whoever wrote this, I greatly appreciate it. There's a couple things in particular I really connect with and appreciate about it, actually, because it doesn't tie you down to one specific type of thing to think about art as in this definition. It really, um, it talks about the expression and the application of, of human creative skill and imagination, right? Like that's how you get started. And that's really where art comes from, right? At least what we consider art, where art comes from today. And it talks about it not just being about beauty, even Mm -hmm. though that is an important component um, throughout history connected to art but also about emotional power. And I think that is the real key phrase in all of this for me is the emotional power component. Exactly. Because we can think of so many examples of artwork that intends to be beautiful and tends to be nice to look at. There are entire schools of thoughts about aesthetics and entire time periods, especially in the Western canon, where beauty was held above all else. Being able to create a beautiful object was above all else. But In other areas, both in time and geography, in fact, the opposite was true. They'll see artworks that are meant to be ugly, that are meant to be disturbing to look at. Subversive. Exactly. Things like brute art brute and even (laughs) distill art to an extent are not meant to carry this weight of beauty and aesthetics, but they're meant to affect you emotionally. And even when they were supposed to please you aesthetically, it was very much connected to the concepts of beauty at that time. Of course. And of the culture that it was being created in. So it's very easy to see something now and be like, what the heck am I looking at when you're not taking into context, you know, Mm -hmm. what was considered beautiful at that time? The debate of what is art is, well, it's new, but it's not new. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Let me explain. I see where you're going. <laughs> <laughs> so my hometown of Renaissance Italy, right? 
mostly early modern Europe and Western civilization. So let's say roughly before 1750, 1800, which is a long time. Mm -hmm. Just a bit. (laughs) Art and being an artist producing artworks was considered much more of a profession. It's a profession today, don't get me wrong, but it was a very specially oriented profession with specific trainings. There was a great emphasis on training with a master, working in a workshop, being an apprentice, learning. And you could think about it almost as the modern equivalent of an artisan or uh, a craftsman. They, in fact, in contemporary writings of the 16th century, did not use the word artist. They would say painter, goldsmith, sculptor, architect. They didn't use the word artist. It was a trade, just like any other, where you had a studio and apprentices that would train under you once you were considered a master. Yes, exactly. And during these earlier years, especially during the Middle Ages and the Renaissance, there was very strict guidelines about high art. So things like painting, sculpture, and architecture, and very clear guidelines about the decorative arts. So ceramics, furnishings, textiles. Things had to look in a certain way according to the context, sociopolitical, religious, cultural, what have you. And it was during the Renaissance that these ideas of the artist as a craftsman and the social role and the social status of the artist began to change, particularly with Michelangelo. But those ideas started to develop and started to change with this idea that's culminated today with the, the artist as the creative, impulsive genius. (laughs) <laughs> right. So that is a really rather relatively new concept of the role of the artist and art being a form of self-expression and emotion. That wasn't the case until like 1750, maybe even 1800, because until then, art only existed when there was a patron to pay for it, particularly high arts, painting and sculpture. No artist woke up and said, I'm feeling this way, so I'm going to make a painting <laughs> that expresses how I feel. He woke up and said, somebody paid me to paint the Virgin Mary. So I'm going to do that today. Can you imagine just having the money lying around to go get the supplies or just be, I feel like I'm going to go paint the sunset today. Yes, like- because that's what it was. Part of it was materials were incredibly expensive and you couldn't buy them without the capital coming from your patron. But then something changed. I'm going to let Elle take over <laughs> here because this is your, this is your jam. So what this is changed? Ah. Folks, we entered the 19th century and the Industrial Revolution boomed. That old son of a gun. (laughs) That old son of a gun, yes. So what happened was technology was created or what we think of technology today, right? A lot of the forerunners of the things that we use today started to be created. There was the invention of the telephone and- The steam engine. The steam engine and- Telegraph. So all of these inventions taking place in factories were mass producing things. And so things were more readily made and readily available than they had been before, which was amazing. And one of the things that was created to be more accessible was art supplies. So painters could take their supplies with them out into the field beforehand. All artwork before this time period was you would take your sketch pad and if you needed to do something that was, you know, outside of your studio, you would take it with you, you'd sketch it up and you bring it back. Or you'd set something up in your studio and paint it there and imagine what background you needed. 
But now artists like Monet and Renoir, those lovely impressionists who people are absolutely either obsessed with or cannot stand. Do you want to guess what side of that fence I'm on? Ooh, let me think. <laughs> Folks, I'll tell you right now, Christine is beyond done with the impressionists. Can I tell you, the other day I was teaching in my classroom and my students who are very, very new to art history, one of the first things I asked them on the first day of class is, what artist do you like? And a mm-hmm. lot of them said Monet. And to kind of break the ice, I like to tease them and go, oh, Monet, you're so basic. Ha ha ha. <laughs> and then I think I made the joke just one too many times because by the third class, someone went, professor, what's your beef with Monet? <laughs> All right. Can I s- summarize your beef with Monet for the audience? Yes please, because you do it better than I can. Her beef with Monet is simply that he's everywhere and that everybody is just so entrenched with Monet. And don't get me wrong. I love Monet. He's beautiful. I think the artwork he created is amazing. I like a lot of the Impressionists, but what I like more about the Impressionists and why they're important to me, and I totally get and respect Christine being tired of feeling like Impressionists are everywhere you turn because They are. They're a style of artwork that people can connect with and do connect with. The reason they're called Impressionists is because it was about taking their artwork, taking their materials out into the field and not necessarily a field, though sometimes it was. Sometimes it was the city and capturing an impression, a moment in time as quickly as they could with these ready-made materials. They now had a tube of paint that they could, you know, just take off the cap and squirt onto their palette. And they had the color they wanted already to go easily mixed with other colors rather than having to sit in your studio with a mortal and pestle and grind those materials together to create the paint that they wanted to use. They already had it ready to go and it wasn't just going to dry out on them, which gave them a lot more flexibility than they'd had in the past. And so they were taking these materials out into the field and they were capturing that moment in time. And really trying to get that impression onto the canvas of that moment. Right. So that's that's a beautiful explanation. If and I understand that that's why a lot of people are attracted to the work of the impressionists and particularly Monet. I think the pointillists did it better, mm-hmm. but I understand what it is about the impressionists and Monet's. And hey, if you're emotionally connecting to an artwork, who the hell am I to tell you that you shouldn't be emotionally connecting to that artwork? I am just so pleased that something is speaking to you. And something I love telling people about the Impressionists is exactly what Elle just said. Yes, it's the impression of the moment. It's the feelings. It's not the naturalism or the realistic quality that they're trying to capture. It's the emotion and it's the moment themselves. And in Mm -hmm. fact, when the first exhibition opened of Monet and his friends showing this new style of artwork that had been developed over time, it wasn't born overnight, but this, it was newish, this, new, this newer style of painting. A critic gave them a really bad review and said, this is not a painting. This is an impression <laughs> of a painting. And what did they do? They took that and branded it on their chests and said, well, thank you so much. This is who we are now. And wear this, this was, with pride. Exactly. So this is the birth of art for art's sake. This is, in fact, getting into discussions of art, having movements and having styles. This is yeah. one of the earliest examples. And I really love the Impressionists also because not only are they creating that impression, that snap of time, right? But they're a really great contrast. They really contrast the artwork at the time. If you go to 
a museum that is exhibiting Impressionist artwork, they often have at least one piece, if not a couple different pieces, or another gallery nearby that will show you the same time period with the very absolutely like realistic image to really help people understand when you're looking at the realistic versions, you look at the canvas and you can't see a single brushstroke. It all looks almost like a photograph, just how crystalline and clear the image is versus the brushstrokes that you see on Impressionists. I mean, Monet made a boat out of a single brushstroke in one of his works. You know, it, the, mm-hmm. the brushstrokes are meant to be seen and be part of the work because mm-hmm. creating that impression and, and working that quickly. Do you have an example, Christine, that you want oh, to? Oh, sure. I just wanted to say that if you need any kind of illustration about this at home, open up your laptops or your phone and just Google the work of Ancre, the French artist. It's spelled I-N-G-R-E-S, Ancre particularly the portrait of Madame Moitassier. If you search Ancla and then Madame, M-A-D-A-M-E, Moitassier should come up right after that. And you'll see that there's an abstracted texture to this painting. An abstracted texture means that we associate the texture in our own minds, that if you touch this canvas, it would be completely smooth like a bedsheet, basically. Then on another tab, search Monet, La Guerre Saint-Lazare, G-A-R-E space S-T hyphen, I think, L-A-Z-A-R-E, La Guerre Saint-Lazare. And it is a fabulous painting. It is actually kind of an interior, not a Monet water lily. See, this is probably why I like this one by (laughs) Monet, because it's not water lily (laughs) or his garden. But it's the interior of a train station, and the train is coming up to the platform. And it's that capturing of the moment that the train comes in. Now, we don't want to say that in the beginning there was just academic (laughs) art like Ankla and then Monet was born because that's not what happened. (laughs) There were a lot of different things happening. The Monets, I'm sorry, the Monets, the (laughs) the Impressionists or the heirs of artists like Manet and Delacroix and other pre-modern, I guess you could say, artists. Yeah, Turner. One of my absolutely all-time favorite artists, um, William Turner, he, oh my gosh, like, I love his work because he, when you think about, like, the the stereotypical, like, grumpy, just absolutely crazy artist who has their moods. Yeah, the character, right? Like, that is Turner, right? I mean, this, this man would go to exhibitions and, you know, leading up to, like, the opening of the exhibition, he'd still be in there like painting and finishing his works. Like he'd be like, no, it's not done. Leave me alone. Like, you know? um, he'd just, it's like that movie about Michelangelo. When will you make an end when I'm finished? <laughs> yeah. And, and Turner is just so, so, I mean, a lot of people, when they hear of Turner, they think of his slave ship, which was extremely, extremely political at the time, you know, when the, the discussion of slavery and whether or not that should happen, it was is hugely controversial work. There's also the um the tamarin. The tamarin, yes. And he's very known for that work as well. But one of my personal favorites of his is actually called Rain, Steam and Speed, which is really beautiful in a strange kind of way. What you see in this image is this bridge, this railway bridge that's going across a body of water and coming at 
the viewer is this steam engine in all of its speed and steam. And you've got rain coursing down on, on the, on the railway. And then in contrast to this stormy speeding train, with all of its smoke steam coming behind it is this little tiny boat down in the water in the left, lower left hand corner area. And then on the right side, on the other side of the ship, also kind of on the lower side, you have a farmer with some horses plowing their field. And you feel the movement and the the speed of this train and how that's something that hasn't existed before, right? Like this, the steam train is, is new. I mean, before it came to be, the modes of transportation that people had were horses and boats. And they seem almost calm and quiet and insignificant in contrast to this giant speeding train that, that's coming at you. And so it's always struck me as, as a very powerful piece of capturing something that is happening in this moment of time. I love how art brings history to life, right? And the Industrial Revolution is brought to life by artists like Turner and the Impressionists, you know, trying to grapple with all of the amazing changes and not amazing changes going on during that time. That's one of the things that I really love about is how those changes allowed art to change, but they also started being seen in the artwork as, as commentary of, you know, how we're kind of dealing with change. Right. That's a very striking piece. And I wasn't familiar with that one. I don't think until you brought it to my attention. So thank you. So these ideas of the, what can art be? How do we create it? Who was the artist? They continued and continued to develop throughout the 19th century and into the 20th. And I'm jumping a lot of time here, but it all kind of came to a climax in the year 1917 with the birth of the ready-made art. And to make a long story very short, a bunch of living artists in 1917 recognized that there was this privileged system of people who got to decide what art was, what got exhibited. And they said, you know, what? we're going to we're going to try to move away from that. We're going to break the system. So an exhibition was organized by I believe it was called the Society of Independent Artists. And an mm-hmm. exhibition was planned. The judges were all working artists. And it was basically open submission. Send in your stuff. We will display nearly anything. Right. And the great Marcel Duchamp called their bluff. (laughs) He said, okay, if you're going to do this, let's do it. He took, he didn't make this. He took a urinal, signed his fake name, R. Mutt, to it, signed and dated it, and put it in a crate and sent it. And they fell for it hook, line, and sinker. They rejected the entry, which caused a huge stir in the art community. They ended up having to display it anyway. But this is what I which caused its own own uproar of what the heck is this and why are we looking at it? And I love it. I love teaching this because it's what I call the greatest joke in art history. (laughs) Because he was saying, "Okay, do it." He it was a challenge. It was a joke, and it turned into one of the most important moments in art history, in modern Western art history. Because what the ready-made did. A ready-made is something that is basically recycled. It's not created by the artist. It is an everyday object that is raised to the status of a work of fine art because the artist has decided that it is. You also had artwork coming out around this time. Sinipa Mbape. This is not a pipe. Yep. Um, I love that work. For those who don't know it, it's, it's literally a painting of 
a pipe with the words, it is not a pipe written in French. And, and is it, is it a pipe? Like, <laughs> it's not an actual pipe. It's a, it's it's an image depiction. Of a it's a representation of a pipe. Right. But that's exactly. much more surrealist and kind of questioning our own yes. perceptions as audience members. But I love that because that, art. you know, I mean, you have all of these different um, voices popping up and, and looking at this question from different, from different viewpoints. And I love it. So this idea of everyday objects being art, I think, is something that we're even in 2021 are still wrestling with. And it brought us, the three of us, to ask this question of ourselves, so a kind of art form, at least a visual expression of human creativity and imagination that we encounter daily, which is memes. And we asked ourselves this question, are memes art? Christine. Yes. What is a meme? I'm glad you asked. <laughs> so a meme is basically a digital photograph, maybe a recognizable moment from film or television or some kind of pop culture figure with a text superimposed onto it. Right. Am I on the right yeah. track here? Yeah. Okay. No, I, that, I think that's an excellent definition. Right. So um, I always described it as kind of like a, a New Yorker caption contest. <laughs> It doesn't have to be, uh, I mean, they're often images that are, are socially known, but um, I think one of the first memes that was created was actually, um, oh my God, goosebumps. Uh, oh my is- gosh, you just <laughs> skyrocketed me back to 2000s. Right. Oh, it's uh, nice so there. The, the, uh, in case anyone doesn't know that meme, it's a young, young lady who is holding a bunch of goosebumps books and She's wearing braces and her hair's a little frizzy and she just has the most excited beaming face. And she's just so excited to have these goosebumps books. And it is captioned, oh my God. And then underneath it, it says goosebumps. Genius. Uh, and written out so that it's, you know, when you read it, it sounds like that in your head. Uh, <laughs> and that was, you know, that wasn't taken from a movie, right? That was just someone's picture that like right. they had done that with and it exploded. And, and so, yeah, people will take images of cats or, or so many other things that. Oh, what? my favorites are, some of my favorites are like the really bad yearbook picture. Yes. <laughs> and I feel so sorry for the people whose picture that is. Cause what if they open Instagram and see their own face from 25 years ago when they were broken yeah. out with headgear and now they're yeah. a meme. I want to make it clear for our listeners. We're going to be talking in this discussion about not just the static meme, but we're also going to be using meme to cover GIFs as well. We're talking about all of that. And yes, I do. I promise you, I know that there's a difference. I know that GIFs are not memes. Um, but just for the sake of a easier flow of conversation, we're just going to lump them under the word meme for today um, and, and go from there. So when we're talking about memes, based on the context of what we're saying, you'll probably be able to tell whether we're talking about a static or a GIF. But um, a GIF, just for those who might not know, is a video version of a meme almost. You know, so you still have the words connected and then you'll have short little snippet of uh, some kind of video um, or repeated action. But let me ask you, because I'm, a, mm-hmm. I'm technologically just uh, sure. inept. Um, they're made objects right they're digital objects but they are mm-hmm. made objects right so there's still yes. that mm-hmm. um 
that concept of creating something, but how actually are they? I've never made one. How actually are they made? Well, uh, initially they were probably created on something like Photoshop, you know, just with, you know, basic tools like that. But I mean, today our smartphones are savvy enough to, to help you make one um, out of just about anything. As long as you have the image on your phone saved in your photos, you can edit the image to add words. Um, and then voila, you have, you have a meme like magic, right? Like oh, that. That's so. Cool. Uh, I've never made a gift myself. I'm sure it's, uh, you know, a similar kind of process. Oh, a gift with- I made. And wow. it took, for me, it took like an hour. <laughs> but I was so proud at the end. So looking back at our definition of art. So when we're asking me uh, our memes art, I like to look back at our definition. So it's something that's sure. created. Definitely. We have that. That exhibits creativity and imagination because somebody has to think about this. And sure. it, it's very, it can be very humorous, you know. And humor is innovation really as well. But do they create an emotional reaction or a connection? Definitely. Um, I will counter that. I, I feel, feel that they do, but I'm going to counter that by asking you, what are they used for? Do they have a role in our society? That's a really great question because I always think about them as just like that break in your day, that laugh, that entertainment. And that's totally valid. That is a really valid societal use because you know nowadays we're so saturated with news and content and much so much of it can be so upsetting that I value any like four seconds of my day where I can just laugh at something but in a more conscious way um some of our favorite memes are the ones for of Bernie Sanders at the presidential inauguration with the mittens and the down coat one of my yes. favorite things that has ever happened is photoshopping him into different situations, like on the friends sofa, I think was the funniest thing I'd ever seen. Mine uh, is uh, is probably the one where he's in um, uh, luncheon on the grass with uh, mayonnaise luncheon on the grass. And this uh, is why we love them, because <laughs> art can be memes. Artworks can be yes. made into memes and right. they're fantastic. And then I'm pretty sure what happened with that is that kind of Bernie's team appropriated that and put him on stickers and t-shirts and made a whole bunch of merchandise with these with this meme thing on it and all the proceeds went to a charitable cause so these memes can be used in a very productive way and in an activist kind of way and in a charitable way as well i mean and also i mean besides just being funny and creating humor which i cannot tell you how many times a day i get sent memes by various people you know Anna and like, I included. Oh, like, <laughs> yes, you guys included. Our our house cat uh, loves to send a good meme for sure. But it's also, you have you ever, ever had that moment where you want to express something and, and you just don't have, I don't know, bandwidth or the, the words to say it like really succinctly in a text message? Because text messages can get confusing, you know, like yeah. you can't always express, you know, even with emojis and other, other avenues of trying to express your intent behind something, sending someone a meme that, um, can visually give indications as well as the the contextual of the words. I, you know, if I'm really angry and frustrated at something, you know, I'll grab one of my favorite memes and just throw it at someone and be like, ah, I can't deal with this anymore. Mm -hmm. And they're like, oh yeah, I get that. Mm -hmm. You know? And it's, so it's, it's become a, I feel like memes have become a form of communication to express shared thoughts and feelings. Oh my gosh, I think in them now, memes and and gifs, like what you were talking about with how can I express this? You know, how many times 
I just want to encourage my friends and say, you're doing great. And I send them a gif of Schmidt from Girl, New Girl going, look at you, dog. Look at you. Right. So there's, uh, okay. So I think we've agreed there's definitely a great use there, but you know, why might they not be considered art? That's a really good question. I think when we were preparing for this, you made a really good point, Christine. Oh, um, I so did? I'm going to steal it. <laughs> you can't steal what is a gift. Fair enough. <laughs> no, but you pointed out when we were talking yesterday that memes are not made to have a lasting impact. I mean, we, we gave an example of, of one of the first ones with Ermagard, um, and that one has lasted, right? Like I say that and you're like, oh yeah, that one. But that's um, the exception to the rule. Yeah, you most know. of them are made to be kind of like a flash in the pan um, and they don't have staying power, I guess you could say. It's always on to the next one. What's the next funny one? What's the next, you know, thing? Um, so I, I suppose that that could be a point against them being considered art but but quite frankly there's so many artworks out there that have been experiential right there's so many different you can have performance artworks you can have I mean how many times have you gone to a museum and the candy uh, exhibit is oh the candy thing yeah yeah that's really Um, fun we call it the candy one because I don't honestly remember who did it or (laughs) and I've seen it in a lot of different museums um maybe our, our house cat can find us some information but um Basically, the candy exhibit is you, you go into an exhibit and um, there's a pile of candy on the floor. And, and the question to the audience is, you know, what is your role and what are you going to do? Right. Are you going to take candy? And if you do, you know, you are then taking away the exhibit. The exhibit's no longer fully there. Right. And if you don't, then. Are you participating? And so it, it asks the, the audience to decide, are you going to participate? So yeah, so artwork can be something that's not supposed to be a lasting thing, right? That candy is not supposed to be there forever. Both an argument for and against. A lot more to think about with Definitely. memes than we'd ever thought. I think when Anna came to us with this idea and said, I think we should do memes, all three of us kind of looked at each other on the Zoom call, like, are we really going to do this? Like, it's a meme. <laughs> Like <laughs> it's a meme, and then we thought about it, and we just had so much fun putting this together and compiling all of our favorites. But so, a question we'd like to pose to you all is: What do you think? Do you think memes are art? Why or why not? Why not? Please share with us. Send us your favorite ones. If you totally agree with us, we'd love to hear it. If you totally disagree with us, we'd love to hear that too. Yes, um, please. So please let us know your thoughts. And thank you so much for joining today's conversation. Join us again next time when we discuss, should we separate the art from the artist? If you'd like to be more involved with It's Just Art, you can follow us on Instagram or Facebook at It's Just Art Podcast. Remember to like, follow, and review this podcast on your platform of choice. We really look forward to hearing from you. Once again, my name is Christine. I'm Elle. And remember, it's just art. Until Until next next time. time. Bye-bye.